What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Nick, who is the co-founder and CEO at Sidecar. Sidecar is a frictionless deal execution platform for venture investors. Their platform handles back office operations, automatic banking, compliance, contracts, and reporting so that customers can focus more on making deals and building relationships. In this talk, we cover why junior investors are using SPVs to build a track record, the benefits of not building in public, and attracting top talent as an early stage startup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, everyone, welcome to the Confluence DC podcast. I hope you all are having a beautiful day. Uh, today, we have someone who is a great friend to the Confluence community and is actually fundamental in a space that we love ourselves, which is SPVs and venture investing for folks who are looking to scale themselves up or may have some extra deal flow. Nick, you want to maybe talk a bit about yourself and what you're working on? I, I, I held the name of the company so you can introduce it to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Tyler. It's great to be here with you guys for a bit now. I've been tracking you guys for a bit and to be on this podcast and, and chatting with y'all now. A bit about myself, maybe starting with some background. I've actually always been an entrepreneur at heart. I've tinkered with, with different business models ever since high school, actually. But I didn't really dive right into entrepreneurship as a career. And instead, I got a degree in finance at USC, and then I went to grad school for my JD at UCLA. After UCLA, practiced law for the better part of a decade. Worked on super interesting deals in the capital markets, like IPOs and large-scale debt offerings, before moving to a firm called Cooley on the West Coast in Palo Alto. And you may be from Cooley, I'm sure many of the audience members are as well. But in case uh, some people don't know Cooley, Cooley is basically a very innovative law firm. It's a very large law firm that caters to emerging companies and venture capital firms, which really resonated with me and resonates with, with you all. Anyway, while working at Cooley, I ended up getting exposure to hundreds of deals, dozens of VCs and founders, and, and basically had a first-person view in, in an actual boardroom at major corporate decisions, which was super cool. And that entrepreneurial bug that bit me many, many years ago when I was in high school bit me again. I ended up leaving Cooley, started a small venture fund with my now co-founder, David. And that's where we discovered the pain point we're solving for at Sidecar, which is that starting a venture fund, you know, rolling your first SPV, starting a fund, whatever it may be, is super hard, it's slow, it's painful, it's cumbersome, you have a ton of questions. And we realized that it just doesn't have to be that way. And at Sidecar, you know, our mission is basically to change the game as to how the next generation of VCs approach community building and to basically make us a product-driven ambition rather than one that's super tedious and driven by conversations with lawyers, accountants, et cetera. Oh, that sucks. Okay, my bad. But, yo, that's beautiful. How'd you all know it was time to do this? And just given that there's like a landscape of others out there, it seems to me like you all have been able to very, very quickly educate folks, make it easier, and get a lot of love from the, the key movers and shakers in the space. Even like some of the folks in your team, like coming from other folks or other spots. Yeah, the, the notion of, of actually kicking this forward was driven by our personal experience working with other service providers. 
and seeing where there were still so many opportunities uh, to improve the process. My personal background, again, is as a lawyer, so is Dave as my co-founder. And being as we were lawyers, we were able to think about this problem when working with other service providers and think about ways that they could improve their process. It all started with realizing that there are no standards in venture capital. When you go to AngelList, they have their form of an SPV and they have their process and it takes a certain amount of time. They charge you a certain fee for it. You go to a provider like Assure Fund Management, which is kind of the mainstay right now and sort of the largest incumbent, but their reputation is not that great for various reasons. They charge you a certain amount. They have their own documentation. They point you to different providers for various reasons. And you go to some of the newer entrants, they have their own documentation or some don't even have documentation at all. And if you use a lawyer for documentation, what we realized was that VC today is kind of like company fundraising prior to YC's introduction of the safe. And you all know what the safe did, right? The safe basically, and for those who don't know what a safe is, let me just take a step back. A safe is basically a very simple fundraising instrument that Y Combinator put into the ecosystem that made it very simple for founders to raise for their companies. Whereas prior to the safe's existence, you had every law firm had their own form of convertible note or preferred stock purchase agreement or some other kind of wonky agreement. YC came into the, into the stage and said, you know what, let's do away with all this unnecessary complexity. Here's a four page document that everybody agrees is a better way to transact with this instrument in hand. If you're a founder, you can fundraise in like literally hours. What we want to do for VC and what we realized being users of products that were inferior in the past is introduce standards, just like YC, the one form of SPV the industry thinks is, is acceptable with a few toggles to meet certain economic agreements that you have with your limited partners and, and the community around you. The one form of funds that actually gets you where you want to go when you want to raise your first fund. And for new entrants, just like first-time fundraising for companies, new entrants for VCs can now trust that our product-led approach, which is premised on our standards, is a better way to transact. And that realization of a lack of standards is really what put this thing into motion and why we've gotten so much attention. It's the trust and credibility we bring, but also the fact that we're thinking about this problem as a product-led one driven by standards. Gotcha. There's a ton of overlap in our audiences. Like, why do you think that all VCs, whether they're at a fund or looking to break into VC or even a founder who has like friends and they just want to put together deals, whatever it might be, should consider spinning up their own SPVs? Yeah, it's a really good question, Tyler. So SPVs are a super lightweight way to approach VC. So if you're thinking about it, saying the sidelines, launching an SPV is the easiest way to build that track record in VC, especially for an aspiring manager. Because LPs in, a, in an SPV have discretion over whether they're going to join you or not in a particular deal, there's less of a barrier to raising capital. There's less of a reason for an LP to say, no, I'm not going to back you at all because they can basically back you on just that deal. So you get to practice doing deals. You get to build that reputation in founder circles without necessarily attaching your name and reputation permanently to the whole fund structure. We have to wait for a period of time to raise a minimum amount of money to actually build your business and start running. So having that ability to actually transact instantly and, and have give LPs discretion, move on a deal-by-deal -deal basis, gives you breathing room to take your time. You can be thoughtful. You can start part-time. Maybe you end up just running the business part-time indefinitely. And the externalities that come with that of actually starting even with the first SPV, I think are extraordinary from my personal experience. The social capital you build in different communities can be super helpful. And you could unlock some amazing opportunities downstream that you never really ever considered. Maybe you pick up an advisory position in a certain field that you just didn't know you were interested in just because you happen to work with founders by, by running an SPV into their company. Yeah, that's true. And it's also like a great way for people to build wealth. <laughs> like, like generally, 
Clay and I, we were looking at the Confluence community. We're like, yo, like, we want to continue to add value to our community, but we don't want to, like, become effectively a huge SaaS business. And we have more deal flow than anyone else, arguably, <laughs> with, like, a thousand plus firms on the platform. Like, could be really dope for us to run FPVs here and really help our community. They partner with us and get economics in it and then support all the founders as well from the whole Confluence community. So... I think the social capital piece that you hit on, we didn't even see that coming. It was phenomenal. How about for some of the people yeah. who are here who are new to SPVs, now they have a reason to maybe get into it. You give an overview of like how an SPV process typically works and then maybe point out some of the pain points that you all are solving. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, you guys have done a tremendous job in building community. And that's a big part of it, of getting into it. Starting an SPV, I think the most obvious need that you have to actually run your first SPV is some sort of community around you that will back you on that first deal. Unless you want to just throw in your own capital, which, you know, would obviate the need for an SPV, you wouldn't need in that case. But let's say you want to actually bring others on the journey with you. You need to build that trust and credibility with those people. And I think part of that journey is actually working with a trusted provider, kind of like a sidecar or whatever you choose. But the other half of it is how you tell the story to that community about why you're passionate about a certain investment to get them to believe that you have good judgment and that it's worth backing you in that investment. I think there are some types of deals out there that are, you know, obviously very interesting to community at large. Let's see a Stripe allocation, but there are very few Stripes out there. And there are a lot more companies at the pre-seed and C stage where you actually have a lot more value to gain by actually having impact on the founding team of being able to talk to them and be close to them and also drive value with the community by unlocking these opportunities that are not obvious or accessible to everybody around you, which is what builds your credibility and your reputation is connecting those dots and being helpful to all the people around you. But once you have the community around you, you have the opportunity under your belt, there are things you may not be thinking about where a provider like Sector could help you. And one of those things is banking. Like where do you actually collect capital, right? To actually move money into the actual company you want to invest in. Documentation for your SPV. Do you create it as an LLC, as a series LLC, as a limited partnership? What are your sort of organizational choices and structures and why would you choose one versus the other? Or why would you work with a provider like Sidecar? And we can, of course, make that case to you. Tax. Let's say you have done the deal, right? You've actually moved money. Who's handling tax for the actual SPV has to file a tax return. They have to distribute what's called a Schedule K-1 to all the investors in the SPV so they can actually file their personal taxes. And then the last piece, I think, is compliance. And this is the, the probably the trickiest one. Whenever you actually pull money together into an SPV and move money to a company. The SPV itself is a company that issues interest in the SPV to its members. So you have to file what's called a Form D with the SEC and make certain securities filings with FINRA potentially as well for yourself as having been attached to the SPV. But even more than just the routine filings, I think there are questions that need to be asked. And if you're new to this game, you should be asking like, what types of deals should I do and why? You know, I tweeted about something recently about doing what's called a secondary deal too early in your journey as an SPV manager or fund manager. And what a secondary deal is versus a primary deal is that with a typical company financing, what's called like a primary financing, the company itself is issuing stock to the SPV or to you. But let's say there was a founder at the company that wanted to exit some of her or his position in that company and sell that stock directly to you or to an SPV you create. That's not primary because you're not buying it from the company. You're not buying it from someone else. It's called a secondary. There are some issues that come up when you do that, that you need to think about and ask questions about. And these are reasons why, among many others, why we realized there were just a whole lot of pitfalls in this game. 
and realize that we could create a product to kind of create these like smooth roads that keep you on a compliant path and give you best in class guidance when it comes to documentation, et cetera. So you don't have to worry about a lot of these pain points. That's so cool. It makes so much sense that someone from you all's background where it wants to solve this problem this way. I think you look at a lot of other platforms they are comprehensive and have some Google community tools, but I had never heard until you all people who are that into the legalities of it. And I've always kind of just had to blindly trust, like, you know, this thing is going to work out, <laughs> but I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And, you know, a lot of this, this whole, the whole notion of an SPV product or fund product starts with the term SPV or fund, which is, it's a legal, it's a legal function, right? It's a legal entity. And the, the documentation drives everything that comes after that point. So it's really important to really think about these issues. Definitely. By the way, like I'm going to throw ourselves a bone before getting into the next piece. If you know anyone who would be a good syndicate or SPV lead for Confluent, please let us know immediately. We can talk about that another time. <laughs> but podcast listeners, we are looking for one. All right, next question. You've been in stealth for a year or something. Yeah. And that's counterintuitive as to how a lot of people are building today. Everyone's building in public, right? Like you literally post our revenues on our website. And I'm curious as to why you decided to take this approach nowadays. And uh, what have been some of the realizations or outcomes of taking this approach versus if you'd have done the other route? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if there's a, I don't think there's necessarily like a good way or a bad way to build, right? I think it's really, I think that, that it really depends on what you're building and what kind of validation and proof you need to succeed or to prove either you're finding product market fit. For Sidecar, David and I felt the pain firsthand that we're solving for. So we were our own customers and we felt long and hard about this problem and realized that the problem we're trying to solve is deep-rooted as an, is almost like an in infrastructure problem as to how vehicles are created from a legal standpoint, how banking works when it connects to these vehicles and how we can create accounts for different users to compliance challenges as far as filings with regulatory agencies and whatnot. And there was a lot for us to figure out that didn't really require us to, to build in public to get certain hype or appeal early. And I think that's why we chose to build in stealth. And that's why I personally have not felt so much pressure to go out there and say, hey, we're a sidecar, check us out. And another reason why we decided to build in stealth, among others, is that it allowed us to not really get a ton of attention too early because we knew the problem we're solving was one that was seeing exponential demand. And I'm taking a quick aside here and going off a little tangent, but venture's changing. Like Confluence exists today for a very good reason, which is that the future of venture will look more like the people on the conversation today, right? And people listening. It may not be just the best immersion and treatments and sequoias of the world or funds aspiring to only achieve that outcome of being like a multi, you know, a multi-tier, multi-billion dollar fund. I think the future of venture is generally decentralized and reflects people just like us. And we saw that change happening. We saw this like long tail of venture, as we called it, just expanding like day by day by day. So if we were to have gone out there and said, hey, we have this awesome product, we would have had a ton of demand and then we would have probably let people down. And that's the last thing you want to do as the founder, right? As an early team. I'd say also a couple other reasons that come to mind uh, that probably are worth sharing building itself that I think uh, resonate with me here is that when you're building infrastructure, you get to solidify your principles and establish your standards 
over time, you could think about it, right? You're not just getting a ton of input or having to check yourself against an audience. And while we didn't get hype from the early days, we didn't really need it to raise capital. So we ended up raising rounds just because investors are our customers and they totally get our problem, or sorry, the problem that we're solving. And, and I think the last thing I'll say, and I'll just shut up because I'm, I've obviously answered this question over too many minutes here, but building a stealth gave us a chance to make mistakes. We, just as an example of one of those mistakes, we set really ambitious timelines for ourselves and we overran them by like six months. If we did that in public, people would have been like, what the hell are you guys doing? You don't really have your shit together, right? But we realized that there was additional complexity. We had to fine tune our assumptions and we don't want to let people down when we did all that problem solving. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I internally on building my companies have these things where like some people on our team are like, yo, give me your entire contact list. We're going to blast everybody with the update and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe we like yeah. get this one thing down first. <laughs> Why don't you tweet to Confluence or put it on the news? And I'm like, ah, let me hold on. I think that there's benefits to both ends. In you all situation, sure. you're in a unique place because the product is naturally promoted every time that someone does an SPV. So you just really need the people who are in the know to use it for where they need and be happy. And that will help you all grow organically. So respect. Yeah, I, exactly. And I also love the point you made about being able to pivot or make a mistake. Public, like public pivoting and public mistakes, especially when it's like something that's enterprise level or dealing with people's money. If you wrote that trust can be dangerous. So really, really smart. And our first thing we had to can, actually our first two we had to can. <laughs> I feel you. It happens. And it's part of the natural cycle. Even just being an entrepreneur, like the, the journey is about trying and failing and then iterating, right? And like you find like these nuggets of information opportunity by trying something first and realizing that it didn't work for a reason and solving that problem may be the bigger problem, right? Yeah, I totally mm -hmm. agree. Yeah, oftentimes the thing that you've built on for many entrepreneurial paths ends up being the company that you build that scales. You identify a completely new problem. But um, exactly. all right. Get back to the schedule of programming. You're a founder. We're talking about SPVs and investing, great. But you are, at the end of the day, a founder just as much, if not more. Can you talk about the hiring process for you? It's really hard to hire good people, really hard to find people that you trust and believe in a vision. Luckily, you have a vision that people understand because it's a kind of a shitty situation. <laughs> but what's that been like? And how do you attract some of the top folks? One of our, our close friends, I'll let you announce her, not pronounce, announce her to the world. I don't know if everyone knows that she's working with you all right now. Yeah, I take it you're, you're talking about Hallie Kaplan-Allen. And I'll tell you, I mean, that's a great question. Look, hiring is incredibly hard. There's, everyone's talking about the great resignation. People leaving to do things that they're more passionate about. And being an upstart company that's venture-backed or like more interesting than maybe an IBM today. But it's still really hard to find amazing talent, especially because we're in fintech, which is one of the hottest industries, and especially because we're growing in an industry that's, that's very nascent within fintech that's called venture technology. But even I think hiring can be made easy by, by actually just getting out there and again, just talking to people and being opportunistic with your hires. Like, like Hallie is one of these people. So Hallie writes this newsletter called Automatter. And Automatter's the premise is about how automation can kind of unlock value and just, just streamline how things operate in general. And it, a lot of her content is specific to the venture industry and automation for the venture industry. And I remember reading her, her newsletter months before we had a first conversation. I thought to myself, like, wow, this person totally gets it. I don't know exactly 
like what she does for her full-time job or what she's really interested in, in as far as venture is concerned or if she invests or anything, but I know she gets it. And I know that having that shared perspective on venture and the problems that we face is all that we need to build passion and solve problems together. So when her name popped up as a, a person that one of our community, someone in our community knew, I was like, look, we have to talk to her and we have to get her on this team. So we were very opportunistic with Hallie and I'm so grateful we made that decision because Hallie's awesome and we love working with her and she's the whole reason for this happening. I guess in addition to being opportunistic, maybe one tidbit that I would also share because it is hard to hire is, you know, I would prioritize aptitude and culture fit over specific experience. I think that people have a tendency to draft job description and put them out into the world and then work with recruiters and look for people who have like exactly three to five years of experience doing X. And I think that's one way to approach it. And maybe you find someone amazing who fits perfectly by following that, that path. But I actually think that if you look for someone that's just really smart, is a really good culture fit, can hustle, can solve problems, and like you can just vibe with and, and kind of bring onto your team and work with them in solving any problem, you can definitely solve the initial problem you're looking for together, right? You can basically train that person on the job to help you like get to the next milestone. Sure, in some roles, you'll need specific experience. Like if you're hiring like a general counsel, you want a lawyer who's worked at doing something related to what you're, you're trying to do as a company. But for a lot of the roles you're trying to fill in the early days, when it's hardest to hire, just finding people who are hungry and passionate and who understand the ecosystem or passionate about solving the problem that you're solving could be enough to unlock some value in those early days for sure. Love it. Love it. Yeah, shout out Holly. She's incredible. And a big vote of confidence for me was when she decided to join you all. So yeah, continue, continue well. putting up the work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that, that wraps up my questions here. Clay, you want to hop in? And also, Nick, if you have any questions for us, this is your time. We will answer literally anything in the world, even if we wear regular socks or five-toe socks. No judgment. Yeah. Actually, Clay, why don't you go first if you have any questions? Yeah, for sure. We, yeah, we can save your question for the end. We got these quick fire questions. We just have four questions here meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one we've got is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? I think a recommendation to skip college or grad school for most people can be bad advice. This opportunity for us all came about through exposure that, that we got personally through grad school and, and beyond. So I think that for most people, that's still a, a good idea for networking and just idea formation and discovery. Yeah. I think a lot of the people that are given that advice are people that actually went to college. So they don't really have skin in the game, <laughs> which is ironic. <laughs> in the last year, what new belief, behavior, habit has most improved your life? That's a good one. Scheduling. Scheduling out my day, like everything I do in a day. Like from the walk to work, to taking the dogs out and walk in a day, the calls and getting work done. I literally put everything I do on my calendar. And I think that, you know, time, obviously everyone talks about this as your most valuable asset. It truly is. And if you really want to drive quality and have balance, you got to schedule and stick to it. I do the same thing. I try to schedule out everything the night before, just so I'm aware and nothing hits my plate the morning of, throws me off. And yeah, I've been doing that for a year and a half or two now. And just, I think there's subconscious effects of just going through a checklist as well and checking things off. So yeah, I totally agree. I've been doing the same thing. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone starting a company today? That's good too. Don't wait. Just 
borrowing Nike slogan, just do it. Start shopping your idea. Start take, start having conversations with people and take steps towards building toward that dream every single day. Don't wait to leave your full-time job specifically is what I actually wish I did say. Because a full-time job can be a perfect hedge that gives you insurance in the early days of company building to explore and navigate some early challenges. And especially in the async environment that we're all in, you can give yourself that time to be like very creative for yourself too. You're not working nine to five every day, right? You can work like 11 to seven or whatever. So give yourself some time to, to create for yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, especially with remote work, I mean, anybody in a remote job that isn't tied to an office now essentially has a de-risked option to entrepreneurship. Whereas like, they're not account, like you're not necessarily accountable to be working every single hour. Somebody's not over your shoulder doing it. So every hour that you're not working your full-time job, you should be putting in, those hours into building something if that's the route you want to go and then you have i mean you're not taking a massive risk where you have to quit your job you still have paychecks coming in supporting and subsidizing that but you have so much more time opened up with your day and i, I totally agree yeah. not enough people view it like that yeah it, it's such a it's a golden opportunity in my opinion it's never been better yeah for anyone to just just try something new yeah 100 percent Last one I've got is if you had one ask for our listeners, what would it be? Check, check us out. So I, I literally believe that everyone listening could be a potential sidecar customer. And I don't view any one of our customers as, as anything other than a partner on this journey that we're all taking together to change what venture looks like. So if you have access to an interesting opportunity to invest in something and you know anybody that will invest with you, you, you can run an SPV on Sidecar today and we'd love to work with you. So please check us out. And I think you know where to find us based upon where we found this podcast, but you know, I'd love to work with you and hear from you. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll link everything as well in the, um, in the newsletter and podcast. So it'll be easy for people to find you. Awesome. So my question for you, if that was the last one, Clay, is to just maybe share what the future of, of Confluence looks like when it comes to venture investing. You guys just mentioned looking for anyone to kind of run a syndicate. But how do you see Confluence evolving in the field, given how ventures changing day by day? Yeah, I can try to go first on this one. I think where we um, kind of see things going within our world. So we've tried to just align incentives better between ourselves and our members. So for the first like year plus of doing this, we we're doing a lot of free work. We we're onboarding people for free, giving them a whole lot of value for free. But now we've switched over in the last four or five months to more of a subscription model, which allows us to operate like a SaaS platform, which is great. So then we're incentivized to build more and more compelling features for our members. But then also along with that, we want to do a lot more deals within the syndicate space, which we've kind of just paused for the last 12 months, just because we've been focused on building some other things. But as Tyler said earlier, we are hiring right now for a syndicate lead. I've actually talked to a lot of people for that position. It's currently up on our job board to try and have someone come on, help us out with that. And we'll incentivize them with carry. So they should be motivated by the work they're doing. And yeah, I think like, that's kind of what we want to do is just like another vehicle for value for our members where they share deals with us. We give them carry, which also allows them to build out their own track record which also just allows us to be more indexed to some of the top quality deals that our members are seeing. So yeah, I rambled there for a bit, but those are two priorities we have, at least over the next like three to six months, I would say. 
Yeah, I would add on to that. If we believe that ventures becoming a bit more decentralized in our content, not adding just stuff for our VC community, but also adding stuff for founders who are becoming investors as well. So we're definitely adding more really interesting founders, alternative investing platforms, et cetera. And the hope is to just everyone who can be a value add and capital source is coming to confluence and building community and learning everything they need. And who knows, maybe making a ton of money in syndicates as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think founders as investors is a relatively untapped potential still. Founders get to know other founders in the early days better than almost anybody else. And, and being able to actually act upon those opportunities to invest when founders may not be super wealthy themselves is kind of a, an interesting an interesting spin, right? That I think is worth doubling down on to understand better and, and promote for sure. One last question for you. Who do you want to see on the podcast? Just, just for us, by us. Whoever you want to see on here gets a front row seat and gets to skip the queue. Oh man, that's a, that's a good question. I recently did, a, did an AMA with someone named Chris Harvey who is just a, like a genius attorney who really cares about the space we're in. If, if you guys are looking to double down on, on like getting someone to geek out with you on the sort of the minutia of what venture looks like and what people should be steering clear of and doubling down on, I think Chris would be an amazing guest here. Oh, that would be phenomenal. Is, are they a practicing lawyer? Yeah, Chris has his own firm, runs a small shop. He turns away most clients and try to sense him because he's busy enough, but he loves, he loves sharing what he knows. Yeah, we would love to have him on and just have a great episode about the legality of venture. We have yet to do that and maybe having a few would be good. So yeah. if this is someone you trust, we trust him. Can you provide an intro? Absolutely. I'll make the intro right after this. Perfect. Well, cool, man. Awesome. This has been a blessing. If you have any syndicate leads, let us know. If you have any, if you have any materials you want us to share in the newsletter, let us know, and we'll get this back to you soon. Play anything on your end? I don't think so. I think that's it, Nick. This has been awesome. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. This was really super fun for me. It's great to chat with you guys this way. Tyler, we haven't talked in a minute, so it's great to just talk to you. And uh, let me know how I can help you guys on this mission. For sure. It's always love, man. Yeah, let's do a one-on-one soon. For sure, we should. I'll enter Chris. All right, Nick. I appreciate it, man. All right. Take care, guys. Later. Bye. Huge thanks again to Nick for coming on this week. I hope that each of you were able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Nick, we've linked his social info in the description below. And you can also learn more about Sidecar at their website, which is sidecar.io. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet, you can do that through our website at www.confluence.vc. And also, if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter, we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles. You can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com. Hope that helps. Hope to hear from you all soon.